Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. Cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic. It's Wednesday morning here in the DMV. Hope all are doing well. We're getting some better weather coming up here in the next couple days, it looks like. I, I saw it's going to be like in the 60s or, or low 60s on, on Friday, and I joked on Instagram that I may go lay out uh, to, to bask in the sun, and I'm uh, yeah, not. I don't even know if I'm not kidding that much. I, 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 uh, it's been it's been not fun this cold uh, for the last uh, you know week or so. But the snow's starting to melt a little bit, so hopefully that will give way. It'll be is a sign of giving way to some better weather. Uh, obviously, we are in sort of wait and see mode with regards to the commanders head coaching search, but plenty more to discuss. And I had. Uh, the chance to talk today, or actually yesterday, with the athletics uh, football film guru, Ted Wynn, about what he sees with some of the main candidates, namely Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. I asked him, you know, give us the lowdown. What are their offenses about? What are the keys? What should we be watching in this week's games against uh, in the uh, championship games, obviously, the Ravens and McDonald are playing Mahomes and the Chiefs, and uh, Ben Johnson going up against the 49ers. We also mentioned, got into a little bit, mentioned some of the other candidates, and I did ask Ted also, give me your thoughts on Eric Bieniemy. What What did you think of the team this season? Is there any coordinator, you know, based on where Washington is right now, is there a side of the ball or a coordinator that stands out for you? Um and I did have him uh, pick, you know, between Dan, uh, between Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald, who he would take. Uh, I think you guys will be interested in hearing that as well. So we'll get to all that here in a moment on the podcast. You can find the Standard Room Only podcast, you know, where iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Also, make sure to check out the Athletic. I had a story up this week about the ten things that are on the to do list. For Adam Peters and this organization, obviously, Coach is very much high on that list. That's the immediate topic, but there's a lot more to go, including filling out the front office. Uh, Once you get that coach, who's going to be the coordinators and the rest of the staff? Uh, I think questions about players are involved. Uh, John Allen, who are you going to bring back in free agency? And a bunch more. So so, uh, check that out on the Athletic. All right, I do want to get to a couple of random uh, topics here. Not random, but I mean a couple of random topics here regarding um, re- regarding the, the the coaching search. So the way it is right now, as we know, there are the seven candidates that Washington sought interviews with, along with Eric Bieniemy, who they met with last week. As far as the other candidates, again, you, you know this by now, I'm sure. But the four that are still in the playoffs, so that's Ben Johnson, Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, Mike McDonald, and Ravens defensive line coach, associate head coach Anthony Weaver, are all unavailable to meet with anyone until next Monday. Uh, Anyone who would advance to the Super Bowl would not be uh, eligible to be hired until after the Super Bowl. So we'll see which of these teams... Uh, advance obviously the Ravens at a minimum will be the favorite for uh, or are the, are the favorites to win the AFC 
game. Now, they did have an interview reportedly with uh, Texans offensive uh, coordinator ben, uh, <laughs> Bobby Slowick. I was about to say Ben. Bobby Slowick. Uh, that was supposedly happened on Tuesday. That was the in-person second interview, which is the round that they're at now. This week, Dan Quinn, Cowboys defensive coordinator, and Raheem Morris, Rams defensive coordinator, are also expected to hold in-person interviews with Washington, and then everybody else comes comes uh, next week. Weaver would be on Monday, I was told. At least that is the current plan. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like it would have been maybe, uh, I don't know, fun's the right word, but like fun to have sort of a tracker, an, an odds tracker, a feeling tracker, something to the effect of where do we think things stand now? It still does feel that Ben Johnson is the the leading candidate. I, I don't like. I said I, I never really heard another name last time for the besides Adam Peters. There was some Ian Cunningham buzz a little bit, but for the most part, it felt like it was Peters to lose. And obviously, it played out that way. He also, as we know, didn't even meet with anybody else. Whereas here, Ben Johnson, it, you know, it still does feel like he is the leading uh, person. Now, it's always, again, curious, is this a, are, are these comments, rumors that you hear a one big game of telephone, or are these things coming coming from a source of knowledge? I, I The team has been very quiet throughout this entire process, dating back to the Bob Myers hiring, obviously. So, I don't know how much is getting out, but you start to see more and more people kind of going harder with the idea that it would be Ben Johnson. I do think there's been some a little bit more noise the last few days about Dan Quinn. We've yet to see where he's going to land. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and Ben Johnson, look, he's going to get interviews all over the place. Let, let's just quickly go through the, the other positions around the league, right? Okay, so New England's got Gerard Mayo. That's done. Uh, the, the Raiders took the interim tag off Antonio Pierce. He's now that guy. They also made the uh, hiring of former Chargers GM Tom Telesco is their new GM. Kind of a surprise, to be honest. I, I didn't, it, it seemed to me that it was going to be either interim GM Champ Kelly, Colts assistant GM Ed Dodds. Um, those seem to me to be sort of the main targets, but um, Telesco, I mean, you know, he, uh, he's he got a track record. There's some obviously some downside, but he's also got a lot of good players there for the Chargers. Brian Callahan, Brian Callahan is the new head coach for the Tennessee Titans. So the job's left open. You've got the Raiders, or sorry, the Chargers. It feels like everything's pointing towards Jim Harbaugh, but because Jim Harbaugh's been a bit of a wild card on a variety of fronts, could he go back to Michigan? He's, he's tried looking for jobs in the past the past couple of years, and uh, teams have ultimately decided to go in other directions. But it does kind of feel like this one, there's a lot of legs uh, to this story, so I'm going to guess that Jim Harbaugh ends up with the Chargers. Now, what does that mean? Now you've got Seattle. Okay, uh, you know this whole process is taking its time for everybody involved. Uh, but Dan Quinn was was easily viewed as the initial uh, front runner once Pete Carroll was reassigned in the organization. Dan uh, Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator for or the uh, defensive backs coach for the Legion of Boom. Uh, teams that, that were in the uh, Super Bowl for Seattle. Uh, obviously, the last game with Dallas was a mess, but he's generally viewed as a 
very good coach. He obviously was a head coach with Atlanta, got them to a Super Bowl. I also think Dave Canales, a name you've heard me mention several times, is is uh, somebody who should be in the mix there as well. Former quarterback coach with Seattle, worked with Russell Wilson, helped resurrect Geno Smith's career, did the same with Baker Mayfield this year in Tampa Bay as their offensive coordinator. So I think those two guys are ones that I'm looking at. The, the wild card overall is probably Mike Vrabel, the former Titans head coach. I don't really have a good feel for where he could land, if anywhere. Uh, so... You know, it's hard to almost say, does he have a better track record than Dan Quinn? I I guess it feels like it, but Dan Quinn, again, made the Super Bowl. Mike Vrabel uh, got close, but uh, did not quite get over that hump. But Vrabel's viewed as one of the better coaches in the league. So you would think that somebody would show some interest in him. Is that somebody Carolina? I don't know. They've also been on the Dave Canales uh, um, uh, train a, a bit here. They also have their own defensive uh, coordinator uh, uh, Evero to to consider. They just hired their internal uh, assistant GM, essentially Dan Morgan, to be head of their personnel. By the way, what I loved about that, Carolina used the same search firm that the Wizards did when the Wizards ultimately hired Tommy Shepard, who had been in the building for like 15 plus years. And uh, Dan Morgan wasn't there that long, but kind of the same deal. Uh, I do think Carolina is going to add a some sort of VP of operations, Brant Tillis from the Chiefs or Alec Halby from the Eagles. And maybe that's where the search firm came in a little bit more, but I like to think of it the other way. Um, so in any event, if, I, I mean, but Carolina's also in the mix for Ben Johnson. Now he turned them down for an interview last year. Does that, you know, is there enough money that can buy him to, to reconsidering them? I mean, we will see. Again, Adam Peters, took no other interviews. Ben Johnson's been meeting with a bunch of people. Also with Atlanta. You know, again, Bill Belichick. It seems like that was, things were heading in that direction. But Atlanta has, uh, you know, remained patient. But they could hire Bill Belichick, you know, once. Obviously, yes, you have to go through the Rooney Rule procedures. I, I assume that they've done that by now because it feels like they've interviewed a ton of people. But we'll see. I, I, I get the sense that Atlanta is sort of, rethinking how it's all going to work down there. You know, they've already got an established front office with Terry Fontenot as GM, Kyle Smith as the assistant GM. Yes, that Kyle Smith. And Atlanta's roster has been pretty good, right? I mean, the, other than the quarterback, which is always the big deal, you know, they're 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 much improved across the board, even though they had to go through some salary cap hell over the last couple of years to get to this point. So they, they're going to have to get a quarterback. Maybe they're the team that trades for Justin Fields from the Bears at the Bears go with Caleb Williams. Uh, we will see about that. But, like, you know, if Belichick goes to Atlanta, if Dan Quinn goes to Seattle, if Harbaugh goes to the Chargers, you know, that leaves Ben Johnson's options as Washington and Carolina. And, he, and again, unless the money becomes a huge deal, it just seems like, or I guess he could love Bryce Young more than he likes any of the prospects coming into the draft this year, then maybe that's something to uh, consider, but you know, it, it, it seems like the Ben Johnson thing, just based on the the lay of the land, is a is positive for Washington. Um, we will see how that plays out. Now, again, Mike McDonald, Raheem Morris, Bobby Slowick, all these other names are out there. I I don't. Again, this is maybe my bias. I I just feel like Slowick. You know, maybe ultimately 
is not going to be viewed as somebody ready to go right now. And I'm not saying that McDonald or Johnson definitively are either. That's why these interviews will be so important. Again, can you go from can you go from um, coordinator to head coach? It is a different job. Can you be that voice that sets the tone, that gets guys motivated, that keeps them focused? And you got to hire the right staff as well. The staff hire is something I talked about in my story on The Athletic. So again, right now it feels like Ben Johnson, but I, I don't feel super confident as, as 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 compared to with the Adam Peters stuff to a degree. Um, but anyway, we will see where that goes. And again, we got to pay attention to these other jobs. Harbaugh and Belichick getting hired would go a long way towards narrowing this field. Until those things happen, though, it feels like everything else is kind of stuck unless you're not looking at hiring one of the bigger names. Like, you know, again, the Titans went with Brian Callahan, who I think was pretty interesting, but wasn't a guy who was at the top of the um, uh, searches for a lot of teams this year. Um, Now, I mentioned uh, Eric Bieniemy. Washington interviewed him last week. That report came out. And uh, it came out earlier this week. Uh, look, do does it make sense for Washington, for their brain trust to talk to the enemy? Absolutely. You know, unlike Adam Peters, unlike Bob Myers, he was uh, here that he was here last year. You know, unlike Rick Spielman, the enemy was the one in the locker room. He was the one hired in February, brought into help turn things around, not just the offense, but I guess to some degree, the the culture, that word again, right? And he got he was the one that got a close-up look at Sam Howell, at his growth, his development, his struggles, at Terry McLaurin, at the offensive line, uh, you know, even to a degree on defense, right? Because in training camp, he's going up against them. He's, you know, obviously watching the team all the time. You know, how much were the struggles this past year on players, how much was it on the coaching staff, on Ron Rivera, what have you. So it makes absolute sense to pick the brain of Eric Bieniemy. But in terms of the the rest of it, making him a, a legitimate candidate to somebody I could see being hired, I, I just don't see that uh happening. You know, you know, in terms of the actual job he was brought in to do the offense, it didn't, you know, it didn't work. Uh we can sit here and, and, and you know, it's, it's certainly not just on him. He was handed a quarterback who had one career start and was a fifth-round pick the year prior. And at the first half of the year, I think Sam Howell did a pretty reasonable job. I think most of us would agree with that. But overall, over time, he finished the league. He led the league in interceptions, was was near the bottom or bottom, um, you know, quartile of, of a lot of different categories. And, you know, Sam Howell's struggles coincided with Washington's closing eight-game losing streak the um you know and then of course we hear you know we heard starting in training camp some players were questioning his uh his coaching his teaching habits um we heard some more of those questions when the season ended you know i i brought this up i even asked the enemy sort of midway through the year are you have you adjusted your offense to coach this team or do you find yourself still coaching you know running plays as if you were on the chiefs and i you know, my, my stance has been the enemy had one shot, basically, to to get this job done. He knew he was coming into a situation where it's probably a one and done. And what is he going to do? Is he going to adjust his offense? He, his for his real chance to, to call plays 
and to show other teams, hey, this is who I am. This is what an Eric Bieniemy team would look like. Or does he cater it to the the, the players in tow? I believe for the most ha- for the most of part, he did it to show off what his offense could be. There's no logical way that Washington should have been leading not just the league, but being the most pass heavy offense in in the NFL this century. They were tracking for that as we as we know. So that is um bizarre, right? And Sam Howe was getting crushed as we know. What whatever the fault was, the offensive line, Sam Howe holding the ball, you know, they just kept putting him in that position to for these things to happen. They didn't they should have, you know, in my view, could have could have easily run the ball more. You have Brian Robinson. You have Antonio Gibson. You have another uh, interior runner in Chris Rodriguez. But, you know, these are the choices that they made. We also know Jahan Dodson's year was down. Terry McLaurin got 1,000 yards, but that's really not that important or impressive a marker, to be honest. Uh, I mean, it's it, it. we get it, but it's not like, it's not all, it's not all that. Um you know, it's like sixty yards a game, give or take. So it's it, it's not that big of a deal. But you know, we you know we, we like to put these certain big numbers out there for something. It's Terry's no knock on McLaurin. I'm just saying it's not that big of a deal. So I don't see Bienemy being in the mix for a head coach. I don't see him being in the mix for an offensive coordinator. If it is a Ben Johnson, well then definitely not. And even if it's a defensive guy, I, I just think this is the, a refresh scenario. You know, I'm not. We don't, we don't view of enemy as part of the Snyder era because he really wasn't. But at the same time, you know, it's all connected to that. Move forward, and I would suspect that no matter who the head coach is, they would move forward with a different coordinator. Nonetheless, like I said, it's good to talk to Bien-Ami. I, I I respect enemy's passion. I thought that when we meet with the coordinators every week, you know, every, every week the coordinators are with Rivera, and I felt that Biennemi, the passion that he showed with us from the start of the year was still there at the end of the year, despite the trying season. He was really into this. And I think that in the right circumstances, maybe that could be something that would work for us for a team and a staff. I just don't think here right now it makes sense. So I don't see Biennemi being part of here long-term, but you know, we got to see how this process plays out a bit more uh, for sure. Um, Oh, and just last thing, you know, we'll talk more about the draft, uh, of course, going forward. Uh, but there was some noise this week that because Mel Kuyper Jr. at ESPN, in his mock draft, put Jaden Daniels, number two, to Washington over Drake May. This is going to be the conversation we're all going to have for some time. If Caleb Williams is truly going number one, then it really is Drake May against Daniels. Uh, May is more of the the, the traditional uh, pocket passer. He, he's got mobility, but he's more of that type, whereas Daniels... Uh, you know, was a dynamic two-way threat in it for LSU. Uh, took him all the way to win the Heisman Trophy. There's uh, some concerns there just about um, his sort of standard passing, as well as the fact that at 6'4", he's a bit thin. Is, is If he's taking off the run as much as he does, is that going to be a problem? But Drake May's got some questions as well. So he, his, his last year kind of reminded me of some of, it, of Sam Howell in terms of Sam Howell dipped off from his sophomore year to his junior year because they lost a lot of pieces. The story with Drake May, same thing, lost a lot of pieces. He still had really impressive numbers, but just a little bit less of a uh, strong showing and, and, and didn't come up big in some of the bigger games. 
But again, quarterback's a dependent position. Is it all on him? There's a lot to like. So that's going to be the the, uh, the conversation I think we're all having between now and April. Uh, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, is you know assuming they make a quarterback pick at two, who will it be? All right, what I know now is it's going to be my conversation with Ted Wynn. Really excited for you guys to hear this. Like I said, I did my best to try to ask about what is a Ben Johnson offense? What is a Mike McDonald defense? Which one do you think makes more sense for where Washington's at? Which one do you prefer in general? And we got to talking about uh, Biennemi as well as some of the other candidates as well. So here we go. Ted Wynn with me on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, we, we talk a lot about these potential head coach candidates from the perspective of what could happen, what might happen, what are we hearing. But what's really important is, like, you know, what do they do on the field? What makes them so interesting? And to help us get through that, one of the best at breaking down uh, film and, ex- and not just doing that, but explaining it in a, in a very smart way. Ted Wynn, one of our uh, go-to guys here on The Athletic, at FB underscore film analysis on Twitter, Ted, man, I really appreciate it. I, we, we were just discussing it. it is a busy time of year, so I appreciate you having a couple of minutes to uh, to chat with us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Are you enjoying these playoffs? I mean, some years they're better than others. We've, there's been some good games, but from your perspective, has this been a, a fun one to watch? Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe I'm just a football freak, and I just like love every game, even in blowouts. I find things that are interesting or, uh, you know, defensive standoff. So I, I, I'm just loving it all. I feel like this year has been pr- pretty interesting. You know, we just watched the Niners Cup. I, I, you know, I just wrote an article about uh, this weekend about how the winners of these games that made it to the uh, championship round, they all had to, like, exercise demons that they've had in the past or beat some old narrative that, like, they had had in the past. Like, Lamar Jackson had to beat the Blitz to – uh, get past Houston. Um, Kyle Shanahan had to finally break that streak of going 0-30 whenever entering the fourth quarter with uh, more than a five-point deficit. So uh, I found all those things pretty interesting, and it, it's been it's been an awesome ride so far. Uh, what, one thing I find interesting, obviously everybody loves offense. I get that. But it feels like the defenses have held up a bit. Like, you know, Kansas City and Buffalo, it wasn't that crazy game a couple years ago where nobody can stop any offense. You know, the defenses uh you know held up a bit and i feel like we've seen that in some other games as well is that is my is that me uh hoping for a more balanced game or do you think there's something like is the defense has pushed back to some degree this year no they definitely have pushed back and and part of that is we had a lot of young quarterbacks this year as you guys know in, in washington I, I believe the average age of quarterbacks was as low as it's ever been this year we had a lot of starting quarterbacks go down uh, I think defenses have gotten better. Um, the average points per game total has, it's like the lowest has been in at least four to five years, I believe. Um, and, and some of these defenses are getting really smart with what they do and kind of combating um, offenses with aggression. And that doesn't necessarily mean just more blitzing, but simulated pressures, giving a look of a blitz. And uh, Mike McDonald is one of the best at doing that. We'll talk more about him in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely for sure. Yeah, no, um, Again, I wouldn't know about seeing better defenses this year covering Washington, but it seems like watching <laughs> watch the rest of the league, uh, it does seem some of that Kansas City obviously seems like a great example. You know, we've known them for their offense, and now it's their defense beyond Mahomes that's really kind of leading the way. Um, since I've not made cracks at Washington a couple times, I'm sure they were not on your screens a ton this year, unless you were interested in the opponent. But I am curious. Obviously, this was the year for Eric Bieniemy to get that sort of 
first shot to, to call plays full time. And, you know, the first half of the year, there were some, some good things. And then it kind of faded away. Did you have, get any kind of impression watching the enemy as to, uh, you know, what he was all about? Was it sort of exciting to see him without the Andy Reed uh, component there? Yeah. Uh, but before I get into the offense, I will say I, I have watched a lot of Washington this year because I was interested in the opponent. I made a joke earlier this season that what, like, you know, there's every defense has, theories and ways of taking away a number one receiver. I feel like Washington did not have any plan for a number one receiver whatsoever because every game, the number one guy always went off, like no matter what. And I just feel like they would just refuse to double cover him or whatever, but it was just something you could always count on uh, with Washington. A- a- but AJ Brown, like he really like took off. He had, yeah. when he was sick, when it was hot, he had two games. He just absolutely crushed Washington. Yeah. And then like Tyreek Hill had like, four receptions for like 200 yards or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but getting back to Eric, the enemy, uh, I thought he did do some really nice things with this offense and uh, you know, working with Sam Howell, obviously I think the, um, I, I wouldn't say the jury's out on him quite yet, but I think things are moving in a direction where you, they, they might move on from Sam Howell, but he, he did flash a little bit this season. And I thought he did some nice, I thought the enemy did some nice things with, with the passing game. Um, but you know, like Andy Reid, it's just he refused to run the ball. And I feel like Brian Robinson is a talented running back, and there's times they went away from him too much. But I think being a head coach is more than just play calling. Obviously, you want that from an offensive-minded coach. But um, you know, I think in Kansas City, they they really missed the guy that really held everybody accountable and be that kind of disciplinary voice. So um, I think. You know, with Kansas City kind of missing that element, it kind of speaks to the type of leader Eric Bieniemy is, and that's one of the top things you're looking for when looking for a head coach. So I think he has that going for him, where you know he he is a leader and people respect him. He definitely has a presence. I mean, having you know, obviously I'm not in the locker room, but he's you know every week we would talk to him at the press conference, even to the very end when it was like, oh my god, they they lost six in a row, seven in a row. Just with us, you could tell that the passion, the energy, the interest was still there. And I, I always feel like when you talk to somebody over the course of a year, they can't hide it. Like they are, mm-hmm. they are they, at some point they're presenting who they are. And he always was the same in that regard. So I took that as to be a sign of, you know, okay, I get the presence. I get why people gravitate to him and why he can be a motivator. The question is, yeah, the rest of it, you know, what, what, what is it get over? Does it get, you know, too much? Does it get too much sometimes? Why, you know, what did all these teams not seeing him or seeing him that they, that that's prevented them from uh, making him a head coach. Um, since you mentioned how, I'll just ask, you, you think there's some good promise there? I agree. But they also have the second pick. I don't know if you've even studied the draft, but a guy who might go to the hype is going to be much higher. So the yeah, question was, Sam, is Sam Howell, does he have the goods, do you think, to become like a top starter? Or, you know, is that just not going to be in the cards for a guy like that versus like a number two pick? I definitely think he has the physical tools and the aggression and he showed signs that he can be this number one plus starter type of quarterback, but the inconsistencies and the taking the sacks, it's a lot. And he didn't definitively say, you know, make Washington think that he's the guy. He he showed signs of it and they even went away from him later in the year, but he didn't take the reins and say, I'm the guy. There's no doubt about it. So when you have the number two pick, I think you have to take another shot at another quarterback and bring in that competition. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that 
Hal cannot be the guy. I mean, obviously that lowers his chances a lot, but with that position and how important it is to get it right, I think you have to take multiple shots and uh, getting a you know n- n- number two guy. It's not going to be a really great competition between those guys, but maybe just, you know, they draft a guy like Jaden Daniels. Maybe they want to sit him down for a year, let him learn. And Hal has another chance to play and maybe he plays really well. And maybe they, just, they, they end up deciding to go with Hal and trading away the number two guy, or maybe Hal finds himself a job with another team and brings up his trade value. Uh, so I, I think you definitely have to take a shot. And j- Hal just didn't you know, take the reins and, and make it no doubt for Washington to call him the guy and decide to trade away the number two pick. Um, so their roster's pretty open right now. Like they've got the, the most cap space projected in the league. You know, other than like Terry McLaurin and the two defensive tackles, it's kind of hard to point to anyone and say that's like a real building block. So as we're talking about coaching candidates, having studied the team and paid attention, is there is there do you look at that and say, boy, they need an offensive guy, a defensive guy, or you know what, they just need that CEO motivator or leader of men type guy? And I know that's maybe harder it's not you need more variables than just simply watching tape. I get that, but like when you're watching, do you see kind of the type of coach you would think in your head you would want for them, or is that overstated? It just depends on the person. Yeah. I think, you know, when you're looking for a head coach, you don't want to just try to find a coach that fits the roster you have right now, especially because you're rebuilding. Maybe that could become more into a factor. If you have a team that's ready to go, um, you might want to find a coach that kind of fits that roster philosophically with, with what he's done in the past. But like you said, there's so many directions this team can go that I think you just want to look for the the best candidate possible and let that coach kind of shape the roster with the freedom and roster flexibility they have. So, you know, in the past, I've always been a proponent of looking for an offensive minded coach because, you know, it's it's offensive driven league. You want to keep that play caller around. You don't want to, you know, hire a good OC and have him leave to another team uh, when he, when the offense gets really hot. But I, I, you know, over the years, I think, you just want to hire the best guy possible, find the best leader. And one of the most important traits you could have for a coach is the ability to put together an elite staff. So you want to really listen to that coach's plan and see if he has an idea of how to build that elite staff. And you have to do it over and over again because there's turnover. Like, you know, look at the Eagles, um, had two really good coordinators, lost those guys, did a really poor job uh, for placing them. And that's why they're in a position they are now. Yeah, for sure. Are you an NBA guy? I'm I'm a fan. I would call myself a dumb fan of the NBA. It's a sport I just enjoy watching, you know, and not really getting too uh, deep into. Well, I just bring it up because right before we came on, the Milwaukee Bucks had a 33 and 10 record fired their head coach for the first year head coach. Somebody was telling me he basically just somebody who covers the league that he's I don't know just just not not up to snuff for what you need to be, but that's like wild. Like as we're discussing this, can you imagine uh, the head coach in the NFL having the equivalent of a 33 and 10 record and then being like, nah, you got to go. Yeah. It's like if, if Nate Hackett, you know, was uh, like 10 and six and got fired before the playoffs or something. Yeah. Well, Jim Zorn started six and two. And if they had fired him right then people would have been like, well, that's kind of weird. Then the, then the next, the last the two years played out in Washington and people were like, Oh, he wasn't up to snuff. He's got to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah. right, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. Um, all right. So, so that said, l- let's discuss some of these guys. Obviously my question always with these coordinators is we get, they can draw plays, but can they do the other part? Can they be these leader of men? Uh, 
so as we go through this, I'm I'm curious like to whatever degree you think, but to start with Ben Johnson, I guess just give us the overview. What is a Ben Johnson offense as you see it? How would you describe it? What would a team be getting if they do hire uh, the Lions offensive coordinator? Yeah, Ben Johnson is that classic, you know, we love your offense. We want you to install that offense with our team and keep calling plays and have that play caller in place for the foreseeable future. Uh, but what, what Ben Johnson offense is in Detroit is a very run-heavy scheme with every run scheme possible. They, they run trap, they run zone, they run counters, they, they run creative stuff, they just make up. So, like, your run game is going to be very robust, uh, very diverse, and passing game-wise, it's kind of a mix between um, Sean McVay's passing game. I think a lot of that has to do with wanting uh, Jared Goff to feel comfortable and, and you know, have some, some familiarity there. And kind of a mix of uh, Sean Payton passing schemes, and maybe that comes from uh, Dan Campbell. But, I mean, what I really love for Ben Johnson is just the creativity and uh, willingness to try things that might blow up in your face on the field. But to his credit, those things have worked, you know, like – uh, he just runs some funky things like passes to linemen or even that fake trap play with Pinay Sewell pulling around and getting to the corner that um, they, they got a lot of yards on last week with Jeremy Gibbs. Um, I, I just love uh, coaches that will try things that aren't afraid to experiment. And, and we see that a lot from Ben Johnson. I was going to say, it feels like on some level, like everybody has split the atom. But some people are just not willing to take full advantage of whatever that means. That they're that they'll go they know what they know they see it but they're too conservative for whatever the reason they're you know whatever it might be whereas like some coaches are like oh screw it we're just going for it. like Dan Campbell with all the fourth down and whatever plays he's just like I'm doing it is that kind of what you see with Johnson like he's just be, because he has that level of uh, aggressiveness kind of helps separate him a little bit yeah i think that's part of the lions uh, overall identity is they just aren't afraid they aren't afraid to um, go for these fourth downs on your own territory with a fake punt. They aren't afraid to go for two, three times in a row. Uh, you know, they, they, and they aren't afraid to just try things and just experiment with things on the field. And, uh, you know, maybe a lot of that is Dan Campbell, but I, I think, you know, it's probably influenced Ben Johnson and, and what his coaching philosophy is going to be as he gets his own team pretty soon. So he, you know, the Lions have been basically like a top five, top 10 offense the last two years with him you just described sort of the broad offense is there a sort of a signature play perhaps like when you say boy what what ben johnson calls this up you know wow this is like really top level stuff it really kind of shows you know gives a good look as to how his uh how he thinks uh i I think it's just very diverse you know the run game is very diverse uh you know i I like how they tailored the passing game to golf i wouldn't say there's a signature play uh, but they are very good at at trap plays. You know, uh, trap is kind of an old school play that not every team in the league runs. Uh, it, it's where you let a lineman go on purpose upfield, and uh, you know, hopefully you get them to kind of go upfield and try to stack the quarterback or get the running back in the backfield, and another lineman comes pulling from the other side and traps him, and then you run right underneath them. Uh, so they're really good at doing those plays. Uh, but I wouldn't say there's one signature go to play they have. It, you know, you see a little bit of everything from them, which is uh, what makes them so hard to defend. So in this game against the 49ers, they're on the road, you know, uh, arguably the best team in the league and, and maybe the best defense. Uh, what what do you see as the key for him from a play calling perspective or a game planning perspective uh, for Detroit to come out ahead against the San Francisco? 
Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of trap plays uh, like we just talked about because the Niners are a very aggressive single cap upfield type of team. And those trap plays are going to be big because they, they take advantage of defensive linemen that are too aggressive. Um, you saw one of their biggest weaknesses against the Packers. They just kept on hitting those uh, crack toss plays over and over again. And the lines are very good at th- those plays. So we're going to see a lot of that. But I think the key to uh, Detroit upsetting the Niners or, or making it a very competitive game. It's just the run game. Um, the Niners have been sneaky bad against the run this season. We saw that play out against the Packers. And Detroit is very good at running the ball. So you know, I think that's going to be a, a key factor in this game. Um, Jared Goff, we, we mentioned him. Um, Jared Goff, you know, took was, was the quarterback for the Rams when they went to a Super Bowl. So he had some success. Then obviously it fell out of favor. Sean McVay goes to Detroit. He's resurrected things. How much do you give Ben Johnson credit for Jared Goff's growth? Or is that overstated when we say the offensive coordinator is really helping out a ton with the quarterbacks? Because they obviously have a lot of coaches. Yeah, I think um, it, a lot of credit does go to Ben Johnson. Uh, like I said, he he's really built this passing game around Goff's strengths and things that he's done successful in the past, but I think also a lot of it is just um, how much belief they put in Jared Goff. I think when he went to Detroit, you know, his confidence was shocked. I mean, you know, how, why couldn't, why wouldn't you be? I mean, your, your, your head coach gives up on you, trades you away. Nobody believes in you. And then you go to Detroit and then these coaches really, you know, take you under their wing, whether it's Dan Campbell or Ben Johnson um, and, and just put so much belief in you and, um, they put the ball in his hands a ton, you know, fourth down they're passing uh, two point conversions are passing third and 15 last week against uh, Tampa Bay. A lot of teams will just run a draw or a screen to get in better punting position or field goal position. They, 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 they ran three routes past sticks and got that first down. So I think part of it is just believing in him with your actions and, and just instilling that in him. It's really built up his confidence to where Goff is really this uh, kind of reborn quarterback now. Okay, let's go to the other side of the ball and then also the other game, the AFC Championship game, Ravens uh, against the Chiefs. Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, is the hot candidate over there. Uh, The Ravens, you know, were bonkers this year with defense leading the league in tons of different categories, including fewest points, uh, most sacks. McDonald's got a lot of attention. And I don't know, I'm not saying he's the equal the equivalent of Ben Johnson for the defensive side, but in terms of a young guy, you know, up and coming, all that kind of stuff, there seems to be a lot of buzz about him. What's a, what's a Mike McDonald defense? What does that look like? Well, what Mike McDonald's done is he's turned a, a defensive line that doesn't have a real alpha as far as pass rushers into one of the best pass rushing units in the league. I think they lead, lead the league in sacks and pressures. And, you know, I think the number one guy right now is uh, Jay Clowney, who not a lot of people wanted. He was a free agent for a long time. And and how he's done that is just through scheming. And his blitz rate is actually pretty low. I believe the Ravens are 26 in blitz rate or something like that. But, you know, people uh, from the outside will look at it and say, be really surprised by that number because they think the Ravens blitz a lot. But what they do is they use a lot of simulated pressures where uh, they're rushing four, but one or more of those rushers are coming from the second or third level. Um, they're, they're crowding the line of scrimmage, confusing uh, protection schemes and only bring four. So they're still safe on the back end. 
Um, so, you know, what, what, what they're doing is just confusing the offensive line. They're confusing uh, quarterbacks and, and they're creating a lot of pressure um, that way. And, you know, I think the best thing I can say about uh, McDonald um, with his head coaching candidacy and, and to me, he, he's top guy. It's just, you know, everyone you talk to as far as Ravens players and coaches that have worked with them, they rave about his ability to teach. They, they you know, they think he's a special teacher. And I, I think that's one of the top traits you can have as a coach. He understands how uh, players learn things and, and how they think. And he, he taps into that. And uh, to me, that, that that's a huge attribute as a coach. Yeah, no, de- definitely for sure. There's been a lot mentioned over the last week or two about just how dominant the Ravens defense has been against even the better coaches and offenses in the league against a Kyle Shanahan um, twice now against the Texans. They really held CJ Stroud down uh, for sure. Um, Mike Sando, I don't know if you saw his uh, column this week where he broke down a bunch of aspects from the weekend, but and he showed some of that, like how dominant the Ravens defense has been. He seemed to suggest though, that the way I read it was that when teams see him more, see the Ravens more and more, they get some more familiarity with them and they seem to have a little more success on the next cycle. Have you noticed a- any of that or how do, how have you seen teams adjust to whatever it is that McDonald's doing? You know, I, I did read his column and I, and I saw that, but I didn't get a chance to go back and look for myself. But I, I think that makes sense because like I said, this, uh, this defensive line isn't uber talented. They don't have superstars on this defensive line. Uh, Medibike, their defensive tackle, tackle is maybe the closest to an elite player on that defensive line. But a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. And, you know, a lot of it is tricking these protection schemes and that sort of deal. And I think maybe if you get a beat on it, then maybe um, you know how to beat this or you have a better idea of how uh, to beat this defense. So that kind of makes sense to me. But that also speaks to uh, what kind of coach McDonald is because he's doing this through scheme and not just relying on, on talent. So obviously they're going up against Kansas City uh, this week. Good luck against that with Mahomes. But obviously this hasn't been a vintage Kansas City offense though. Last week uh, they seem to take advantage of Buffalo's kind of beat up defense. What it, what do the Ravens need to do, or what does McDonald need to scheme to you know have the Ravens get past uh, Mahomes? Yeah, I think the the weakness with this uh, this Chiefs team is their offensive tackles. They just have not played very well they tried to invest in into it this offseason but um they just those investments haven't worked out very well so if you could get some edge pressure on them and you know you're not you don't want to blitz Mahomes at a high rate and like I said the Ravens don't blitz at that high of a rate uh but if you're able to make these tackles hesitant and make that weakness on the edge uh even more profound then you you have a good chance against this Chiefs um, offense. But in, in the playoffs, what they've shifted to is they are more of this heavy tight end set uh, running team. Um, and, and it's worked out really well for them in these last two games against uh, Miami and Buffalo. And obviously Mahomes is still making spectacular plays, but their their run game and commitment to it has really made a difference. So you have to stop the run and you have to kind of make this weakness from their tackles even more pronounced. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So those are like the two guys that I don't know if they're necessarily the best on the offense or the defense, but they seem to be the ones getting the most attention. So Washington is also talking to Bobby Slowick and Eric Bianami. Is there either one of those guys you would take over if you were from the head coach perspective, is there either one of those guys you would take over 
Ben Johnson? Is there anything that stands out? I'm, I'm trying to narrow the field and figure out who you're going to tell me should be the head coach. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's always hard uh, when you don't get to talk to these guys and have an yeah. interview process. You're just kind of looking from the outside, looking in. Uh, but to me, the top two guys are Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald. And, uh, you know, I just I'm talking uh, on both ends, both sides here because, you know, I just talked about how um, your scheme and your production isn't the top thing. But it's it's the thing that we have to look at as outsiders because sure. it's very tangible. Right. So uh, when you look at what Ben Johnson's done, you look at what Mike McDonald's done. Those are two top guys for me. Um, obviously, they they know who Eric Enemy is. They have a lot of data on Eric Bieniemy. They, you know, they, they know what the players think of him and what kind of leader he is. So they kind of have a leg up with with that evaluation uh, of Bieniemy. But also, you know, there might be a sense that, you know, we want to put that old regime behind us. We want to put all these things behind us and just get this fresh start. You know, so I think that he has that going against him. Um, and uh, sorry, what was the other name besides Bieniemy? It was Bobby Slowick. Uh, right. So it, it, Bobby Slo- and also, just on the defensive side, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, Anthony Weaver, and Aaron Glenn, just to round out the field. Pick whoever you want. But, yeah, the, that's the whole field for Washington. Yeah, I think Raheem Morris is another really strong name that you you have to take into um, consideration with just his experience and how much you know people love him around the league. And, you know, he's part of that Shanahan, McVay tree as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we're, we're not going to get too in-depth with Morris, but I think, you know, he's right up there with those uh, ben Johnson and, and um and Mike McDonald because I mean the, the Rams defense was 32nd in spending um they're expected to be one of the worst defense in the league but they, they did some really nice things this year that people didn't expect of them um and, and just with the whole character and, and reputation of Morris you have to put him in consideration uh to me I think Bobby Slowick would benefit from coming back to the Texas being their offensive coordinator coordinator one more year it's just to me it's just too fast of a rise you know he goes from passing game coordinator and it, with the Niners to offensive coordinator he done, done some really nice things obviously uh, but even Ben Johnson took another year to come back uh, to the lines I think that benefited him as well uh, so I think uh, for Slowick you know he's going to be hot because everybody wants that offensive coordinator but to me I think he's a guy that could spend another year just um, grooming CJ Stroud and, and taking that offense to you know even higher heights all right, and so just lastly, you said, and a lot of people have said this, it's sometimes it's better to take the offensive coordinator if it's all things being equal because then you're not having to replace that position all the time. If your offense gets going, you have that guy, and, and that's obviously where the league is headed. But you just mentioned a lot of nice things about McDonald as well. If those are the last two guys, just based on what you know, as watching them call plays and you know, how however unique they are within the league, you get the final say. Which of those guys would you pick? Uh, I, I feel like I, I've, uh, I know, I don't know McDonald personally, but I've talked to a lot of people that have worked with him. So I think I have a little more data, uh, on McDonald and, you know, just the things I've, he- I've heard about him or just, um, very high level. I think he brings, uh, I think his defensive scheme is very unique and the way he teaches it is, is very unique. So you have that aspect as well. Uh, so to me, McDonald's my top guy. Interesting. Okay. I, a lot of fans who want the offense may not be happy to hear that, but I think it's, you look at the data, it's pretty hard to argue with what they've been able to do. And, you know, when, when off, if, if he has a, if they have a good game against Mahomes this week, I think that's going to make his uh, mm-hmm. perception wise, maybe not the teams, but perception wise, even higher. Um, I know you pay attention to the Raiders. They just apparently hired uh, Tom Telesco as their GM. So you I did to- not see that. So you just broke that to me right now. <laughs> well, there you go. Kind of a surprise one. Obviously, 
Washington has their GM, but I was paying attention to the league. I, I know he was being interviewed, but I wasn't thinking that's where they were going. So I don't know if you have to go work on that, but I will let you go. Uh, anything to, to, to mention any, anything you've, you've, you've got, you've written already or things you're kept coming up that people should pay attention for and look out for. Uh, I just wrote an article about um, the divisional round and how teams had to just beat these old narratives that they had surrounding them to uh, make it to the point they are now. And uh, I'm going to write two in-depth preview pieces about what to watch out for in, in these two championship games coming out later this week. Ted, I really appreciate the insight. Like I said, it's one thing for all of us to bloviate about what makes sense, but you got to pay attention to what it is they're doing and you do it as well as anybody. So I really appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy this weekend. I don't know if you have to do anything like I said with Telesco, but interesting, interesting fodder for you to play with if nothing else. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. Many thanks to Ted Wynn for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. More to come this week. We will have, um, well, you know, I, uh, look, the, who knows when news will break? I'm assuming that we won't get any head coaching news this week uh, until Ben Johnson has played his game and, and or loses his game. And then if so, then maybe Washington gets time or get, get, gets on the head coaching train next week. I should mention I will be at the Senior Bowl next week. I, I forgot to mention that earlier. So we will be talking about the draft in that, uh, in that capacity. And uh, look, it's also a great place to get some NFL league-wide buzz, everybody in the league is typically down there, at least like the front office scouting sets. There are some um, others there as well. So I would imagine Adam Peters gets down there at some point. Hard to know exactly how that's going to go until the coaching situation is done. Maybe it's later in the week. So they start off next week with coaching interviews, and he goes down later. Uh, Presumably that would mean that Washington's staffers who are currently here would go down as well. And that's always interesting because maybe we'll see who, you know, what is it? Who's down there representing Washington? Does that have any, uh, give us any clarity as to who is sticking around here or not? Um, All right. That's it for now. Ben Standick signing off until next time. See you.